Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. This is a very special episode because, as you likely know if you listen to this podcast, the 2020 Emmy Awards were held this weekend, and it is my pleasure to introduce the two experts who are joining me for this discussion um, of this year's Emmy ceremony, Chris Beecham and Tom O'Neill of the awards prediction and news site, Gold Derby. This is the first for our podcast. We're so excited to have them. Just wanted to give listeners a little bit of background before we get to it. Chris Beecham is the managing editor of Gold Derby. He's hosted thousands of interviews with contenders, and he even works with studios and networks to advise on award campaign strategy, which I find fascinating. Tom O'Neill has been Gold Derby's editor, founder, and president since 2000, when he created this site to give film, TV, theater, and music fanatics a platform to make their own award predictions. Chris and Tom and their team of expert editors have, of course, been closely monitoring, as we have, uh, the 2020 Emmy race. And they had um, plenty of insights into the results, into trends, what it says about the industry at large. This was really cool to get these different voices in on, on the In the Envelope podcast. So thank you to them for joining us. And I think without further ado, we should get to it. Chris and Tom, welcome to Backstages in the Envelope. Uh, thank you so much for being here. How are you both? Well, well we survived Emmy season. <laughs> Can you say you fully survived too? Yes. Yeah, that's actually, uh, that pretty much sums it up for me. It feels like something we, we survived against all odds, against the odds of the, the world these days. And I think the Emmy survived. That was the oh, yeah. uh, bottom line lesson that was really terrific to see on a ceremony. Ceremony show that, yes, dipped dramatically in the ratings, but boy, they put on such a good show. Do you do you agree with that? I, I do. I mean, the, uh, the whole time it was the the weirdest, but I, I knew it would be, you know, it's the weirdest Emmys ever. I almost thought of it the whole time as like this fascinating cultural artifact. And I do yeah. feel like I would love to hear it. Like, we don't normally talk. Of course, we're here to talk about the trends and the winners and the results. And you guys are absolute experts at this. But what did you think of the format of the ceremony itself? Like of all the ceremonies, this is the one that begs the question, like almost like what was the what was your review of the ceremony, the telecast? It way exceeded what I thought going in. I, I mean, I felt like Jimmy Kimmel uh, and the crew, the, the producers, the director that he had put together were going to do a good job. I just couldn't picture how they were going to do it. And then we saw right. the creative arts all throughout the week where the presenters had pre-taped their 
intros, you know, long before, and they had no envelopes. They had no idea who won. Uh, it was, and that was well put together. But I was so yeah. hoping that the we would get the visual um, acceptance speeches from the live winners as well as yeah. their reactions. And those were great. But you know what I liked even more than the winner reactions? How the camera would go to the, I won't call them losers, but the other nominees who did not win. <laughs> um, and how how appreciative they seemed for the winners. Now, they're all really good actors. They could have really been putting on a show. <laughs> but at least that's what the camera caught was how, how yes. genu- genuinely appreciative they seemed for the one that did win. They were all drunk. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> at home. Yeah, at I think home. there really was a, a sense of community. Like, we're all in this weird, strange situation together and just yeah. happy for all this great TV, for sure. Yeah. What did you think, Jack? Well, I, again, I thought it was totally weird, but I was prepared for how weird it was. And I was I was just excited to see, like like you kind of said, the, this idea that they're in their living rooms or their bedrooms. And um, there was something particularly exciting about the idea that someone just off screen is handing them an Emmy's award. Like how, what other award show has ever had that phenomenon of, first of all, of course, their their native habitats, like where they currently live. But then the, this element of surprise of like, someone could walk through my door with an Emmy or not. It's it's it, in a hazmat suit. <laughs> it's just very yeah. strange. But it was kind of exciting. And it was really cool to see like, for example, Uzo Aduba, like, calling to her mom in the other room yeah. to say, I won, I won. That's actually... I know, that was a highlight. I liked how it was, there was a mix, too, of some were by themselves, some were with spouses, yeah. some were with whole families, some were, um, you had the group up in Canada uh, that were partying together. You had a nice wide mix of the way that they decided to present themselves on TV. Yeah, totally. Well, and speaking, so going off of that, what did you guys think of these results? What did you think of that first third where the, the Schitt's Creek just had a clean sweep? An historic clean historic. sweep. Ne- never before have we seen one show take all the top awards, series, all four acting slots, writing and directing. It was amazing. And that's what upset me as an award watcher. I was furious because <laughs> no really the, the the reason that the Emmys have been so heroic over decades is that they had a judging system up till recently where the uh for the acting races for example would be determined by 50 to 75 volunteers from the acting branch who would agree to watch a sample episode of each mm-hmm. nominee and then pick a winner. And you'd get great surprises all the time, like Brian Cranston winning the first year of Breaking Bad when mm. no one even knew it was on TV. That's and right. That's yeah. gone now. Now it's more of a popular vote. Now everybody in the acting branch gets to vote on all acting categories, for example. That's more than 2,000 people, and they have not seen everything. And so we're seeing lazy voting trends like we see at the Oscars, where Lord of the Rings wins every award or Ben-Hur does kind of thing. And that's not good. Right, right. Like you would prefer it to be more spread out, more variety. Yes. Think about all the 70 plus years of TV. No comedy or drama has done this. I mean, you're talking about, you know, I Love Lucy, All in the Family, Cheers, MASH, uh, Will and Grace, uh, whatever show you want to mention has not done this. You can't tell me 
the first year of All in the Family at the Emmys, if it had been just a popular vote, mm. that it would not have done that. It would have done this. All in the Family would have won series, all four acting awards, writing and directing. Um, but it didn't because you had small groups looking at episodes and not knowing what the other groups were voting for. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a really salient point, especially like I, I had just sort of considered with last year's Fleabag and with a few years back with Maisel, this idea that somebody would swoop in almost out of nowhere. I mean, Maisel was a new show. Fleabag was not, but it might as well have been a new show. This Schitt's Creek is different from both of those. It's been around for it's been around forever. I sort of just in my head, I thought that this idea that one show coming into sweep was was a more of a one or two time phenomenon rather than like, is this a trend we'll see going forward? I don't know, in, in future years of the Emmys, depending on whether it's the first season of a show or a last season, as you're saying, it is more of a popular vote. It is. And that's not good. Not <laughs> in a medium being measured for quality uh, when the uh, pool of contenders is so vast. So vast. Uh, there's now with streaming and the rest of it. Uh, every actor, every writer, every director now really has to worry, am I being seen and heard? Is this fair at all? And this popular vote that they've now introduced uh, suggests by the results we saw at the Emmys, no, it's not fair. No, you're not being considered. And the Emmys go, oh, we've, we've democratized the vote. Well... No, you haven't. (laughs) We're screwing over a lot of people who no longer have. So did the People's Choice Awards. Yeah, we've already got the People's Choice. Well, exactly. None of this really, like, none of this really can reckon with the fact that there's so much TV. Um, And the other, I know this is a bit of a leading question, but I wanted to ask you both: like, is the fact that Schitt's Creek began airing in the U.S. on Netflix last year, the first year that it got Emmy nominations, does that have to do with these results? Yes, Chris. (laughs) Explain. Yeah, I think uh, when we get the list at the end of the night of how many networks won, I think Netflix should claim half credit. Um, <laughs> I don't think most people could tell you the channel number that Pop is on their cable box. Exactly. Um, right. So, uh, you know, yes, definitely. Well, notice how it, it never got a single nomination until season five. And that's yeah. after seasons one through four went on Netflix. And this right. is what happened with Breaking Bad. It was mm-hmm. uh, overlooked for the most part uh, that first year or so, but when it hit Netflix, it swept Emmys all over the place. Yes. That was uh, a telltale thing right there. The irony is that Netflix can't do it for their own programming. Isn't that They still have never won a series award for best comedy or drama series, despite yeah. the fact that they're winning Emmys for everybody else. Totally. And of course, this is a separate conversation, but the same could co- sort of be said for the Oscars, where, of course, the, their Netflix is making inroads at the Oscars, but have, has yet to come close to taking Best Picture, for example, or, yeah, a, or yeah. a Leading Actor Award. But yeah, it is, it is a theme we've come back to on this podcast over and over again, just the disruption of Netflix on the industry. Disruption, not necessarily in a bad way. It's just telling that that's the network that got the most nominations this year, and mm-hmm. that I love this idea. If we count Schitt's Creek because it streams on Netflix, then they truly dominate. They dominated more than HBO. <laughs> HBO had an incredible night and an incredible week, though. I think that gets a little yes. lost in the mix talking about uh, Netflix and pop. On this particular week, they did a tremendous job. Totally, totally. Well, and so going off of that succession, I mean, 
Looking at Gold Derby's predictions, was was it safe to say Succession was the prediction for best drama? Yes, and it was uh, overwhelmingly so from the beginning. And uh-huh. that was very strange considering that they didn't care about Succession last year at the Emmys. It was suddenly something that just took off. Right. That much like Fleabag the year before, ah. which uh, uh, in season two suddenly became the toast of the town and at the Emmys after being ignored virtually for its first season. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to call it in the old days, the sophomore surprise <laughs> uh, hmm. in voting cycles uh, because it would have take off on a on its second year, but there's something more than that going on here now. And I don't know how to explain it other than the fact that social media and active campaign parties and all of these things and interactions Mm -hmm. uh, create a herd mentality that then affects the awards. We didn't know to take the flea bag sweep seriously until Mm -hmm. about two to three months before the Emmys last year. Interesting. We can tell you, Chris and I, that Amazon's insiders themselves didn't believe (laughs) it. They thought they had that race locked up with their own Maisel. Maisel. And then this Fleabag thing took off. So it is a kind of new thing. Yeah. Yeah. I will say on Succession, season two, which aired all the way to last summer, um, was way more acclaimed than season one. So... Part of it was the internet bubble, but part of it was just true, more, you know, more acclaim than than the first season had gotten. The, yeah. We 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 felt like Succession was a pretty safe front runner for series. The race that ultimately we all called right, but which was a barn burner for weeks and weeks and weeks, was was Brian Cox or Jeremy Strong from the yeah. same show going to win actor, and all of us by the end. Pretty much all of us felt like it was going to be Jeremy Strong. Okay. Again, because of that internet bubble, it was a very similar situation to, and I didn't get this right last year, but Jodie Comer over the her co-star Sandra Oh, even though Sandra has had more of an acclaimed career. Yes, and had won the SAG and the Globe and everything. Yeah. Right, right, right. And Cox, way more well-known, had been doing this way longer. Yeah. But Jeremy was that, that underdog that people were rooting for and had those moments on the show that people were, I think, quite thrilled that he won. Maybe not Brian, but the others seemed to be quite thrilled that he won. <laughs> yeah, he was a little ticked, you could see. <laughs> <laughs> That's that benefit of, of the cameras in people's homes. You can I see know, their reactions. Well, it is interesting. Um, talk to me about this idea of vote splitting, because the... The theory goes that when two or especially three nominees from the same show are in a category, that they split the vote. But as we saw, especially with Yaya and Uzo, that was not the case this year. There was a lot of examples of of people beating their co-stars. And that has not happened much under the new voting system. Mm -hmm. In the old days, it was an advantage. Remember when all those modern family guys would be nominated together in supporting comedy actor, and one of them always won. And that had to do with the old voting system, which was, again, a small group of of peers uh, watching actual episodes and then casting their Mm -hmm. ballots. And of course, if you've just watched five, or let's say four out of five, four performances uh, on Modern Family against one 
a rival show. Sure. You've just seen four Eric Stone Street performances. You've yeah. just seen four, you know what I'm saying? And so the, those brain, guys right. would always win. Under yep. this new system, uh, we have seen very little uh, of that. Usually the, 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 the vote splits and one, and, and they both lose, but that didn't happen this year. And it was fascinating. Yeah. Again, especially with three instead of two, to beat two of your, two of your fellow co-stars. Although, does that have to do with the fact that Uzo and Yaya, they were in limited series? Like the almost anthology uh, format of, of Watchmen and Mrs. America. I wonder if that affects it because um, it's quite obvious which episode of Mrs. America Uzo Aduba is submitted for, right? Right. She yes. was the lead of her episode for sure. Yeah. The, right. All three of them were. Um, what Tom was saying is true. We, we, and we're still, even though the system's only, what, three, four years old with the popular vote and mm-hmm. uh, as many people vote, voting as possible, as want to, you know, uh, can do it. Um, we have noticed the vote splitting really does work uh, in terms of eliminating, you know, possibilities. Look at the uh, Game of Thrones supporting actresses last year. Mm-hmm. There were six nominees and I knew none of those four were winning mm-hmm. based on recent trends. So it helped me to knock it down to uh, uh, trying to think of her name. Oh, Julia Garner and yeah. whoever was up against Julia last year. Um, I knew I wasn't picking the other four. The only ones that seemed to get away with a vote splitting in the past three or four years, until last night, until this weekend, were somebody like Peter Dinklage, where, yeah, they're both, the other two nominees are from Game of Thrones, but the obvious choice is Peter Dinklage. So that mm-hmm. vote splitting doesn't really hurt you there. But here, mm-hmm. we saw it over and over again, uh, that vote splitting didn't, even in things like directing and writing, didn't seem to make a lot of difference this year. Right. And going off of that, talk to me. I would love to hear your guys' candid opinions on category fraud, quote unquote, category fraud. Of, um, <laughs> having just oh, watched funny. recently Mrs. Maisel season three, like I really considered Alex Borstein to be a co-lead, for example. And you just mentioned Peter Dinklage. I would, I would have argued in any of his Emmy eligible seasons, he was more of a lead. And that's true at the Oscars, isn't it? I just think about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually think the Oscars if, are, are if more pa- culpable. Patricia Arquette was not the lead actress of Boyhood, who was? I mean, exactly. You know, exactly. Viola Davis and Fences uh, bounced oh, back yeah. and forth in her Oscar campaign between lead and supporting and ultimately made the right choice. But that right. really is kind of like the name of the game and, and strategy for them. And, and that's why they have award analysts and consultants who were paid a fortune mm-hmm. to advise them on things like this. Right. Olivia <laughs> Coleman at the uh, yes. uh, Oscars recently with The Favorite, uh, she had the least screen time of, uh, of those major Or Brad Pitt on... supporting, for example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, people hate it when I say this, and I've been saying it for two decades with Tom, but I don't believe in, in category fraud. I don't even believe it exists. Um, uh-huh. It's all about strategy. Yes. That's why you pay people for strategy. If your choices are within the company and as, as actors talking about, you know, what am I going to do here? I don't care if it's Oscars or Emmys or Globes or SAG. Or, well, SAG doesn't have supporting on TV. But if the choice is if we don't split up, neither one of us is getting nominated Yeah. As versus both of us getting in, I think it's always going to come down to making the best choices totally. and not worrying about, because I can argue that some movies and shows don't have a lead. Um, Absolutely. Right. You, you, you can say, you know, this person 
if Patricia Arquette's the only, I mean, sure, she's the only female that could be considered lead, but I could say that the kid is the lead and everybody else supports what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I can make the case for almost anybody's strategy being the right strategy. Going going back to Viola, though, we yeah. told them several times, Tom and I did, what we thought. We kept saying, mm-hmm. if you look at our odds, and this is thousands of people predicting, mm-hmm. that you're talking to Viola's people as well as uh, the studio. It looks like you're on the bubble to get in for, just even get nominated for lead for Fences. Right but you might win for supporting. So obviously they went that way ultimately. But we were telling the same thing to Olivia Coleman's people (laughs) and they wouldn't listen to us and they went lead and it worked out great. So, you know, we don't, we don't know what we're talking about sometimes. (laughs) But don't tell anybody. Yeah, totally. Well, that actually, I wanted to ask the both of you about this too, because this is also complicated, but the idea of an ensemble, first of all, do you guys think that there should be an ensemble award for Emmys? Like, would that would that throw things off? Would that help maybe, I don't know, deal with deal with the idea that there's so much TV? Like, could that then be an answer to the Modern Family question or even like a Schitt's Creek where if they win ensemble, I don't know, and then they also win individual? What do you think of that idea to kind of copy the SAG ensemble format? For the first time in my life, Jack, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it in the sense of, I don't like the fact that Eugene, Dan, Annie, and and Catherine could have gotten yet another another Emmy. The other <laughs> okay. night. I, I, it just is too much to me. I like the fact <laughs> that that Emmys have casting awards. Yes, um, me too. I wouldn't mind at all if the Oscars did, but hmm. I'm afraid you would get into a situation. Uh, they don't. The voters, everybody votes you on everything at the Oscars on the winner side. So I'm afraid they would just go with whatever they're going for on Best Picture every sure. single time, sure. uh, regardless of the number of people. To me, it's not, talking about Oscars, it's not difficult for Quentin Tarantino to call up all of his friends and say, mm-hmm. come join my movie. They're going to say yes, as right. opposed to, and let's say that casting director had won, um, as opposed to what somebody on spotlight or parasite yes. or moonlight think about moonlight having to cast those kids something right. like that having a way more difficult job on casting as opposed to somebody who a martin scorsese can just call up who you know he called up de niro and pesci and al pacino and the casting director didn't even have much to do with that right and then you're saying it, with a casting honor, they would have, of course, then be nominated because part of the criteria of great casting is like a great cast. And so then it's sort of like, who's getting the credit here and and for what? Yeah. If you're going to have a casting award, if I was voting on a casting award, it would be for who had the most, who pulled off the most difficult job at, at yeah. the greatest level of achievement. Yeah, totally. And it, of course, it is an art form. I mean, we we just featured a bunch of the nominated directors and I do think that more than the Emmys should should consider honoring casting as its own art form. And look at something like Ozark. That casting director mm-hmm. went out and found Tom Pelfrey, you know, mm-hmm. and that was that's I mean, Jason Bateman was already in there, Laura Lenny, but even if, that, if it was the same casting director from the beginning, and I'm assuming it was, you know, finding a Julia Garner, finding all the people, oh, all yeah. the villains and the the drug runners and the I mean that that to me is a difficult job. Yeah, I think especially like there's it's difficult to put together a, a 
pilot for TV, but also then the phenomenon of this show's been on for two seasons. How do we find an actor who can kind of seamlessly come in and not steal the show too much or, you know, have their own standout supporting role? Tom Pelfrey's like a great example of that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can all agree that like this there there's a lot of TV <laughs> and there's a lot of worthy TV and that the Emmys, I think, in terms of the telecast, and in terms of these results, did a decent job of um, like, would you agree they did a decent job of highlighting what someone who's brand new to TV, could they tune into the Emmys and, and get a good inkling of what what they should watch? Yes, I think this is a good year to measure that thought, mm-hmm. too, Jack, which would be. Uh, uh, what kind of a bump now will Schitt's Creek get? And deservedly show my, so it's such a masterpiece. Um, so it, it, it could really help to put that show on the map. And award shows are supposed to do that sometimes, and they do. The Amazing right. Race right now is uh, on TV because uh, as mm-hmm. many times as CBS wanted to cancel it after that first year, they kept going, oh, okay, we'll give it another year because it won the Emmy. Or you can go back to Ally McBeal, which was rescued by winning a Golden Globe. Um, and they, they do play key roles. And historically, the old judging process at the Emmys was so heroic that all of the following TV shows would have been canceled in their early run if they had not been rescued by Emmys. And those include Cheers, All in the Family, Seinfeld, Hill Street Blues, Cagney and Lacey, some of the greatest shows in TV history Mm. were rescued by winning Emmys. And then they went, "Okay, the networks we will give it another shot. And look what happened. And your favorite one to talk about, Tom, because you've talked to her about it is 30 Rock. Talk about the money there. But also I was I've been going back and watching a lot of old Emmy ceremonies, which I've recorded over the past few months out of boredom more than anything. But the first time Tina won, they won 30 Rock for series. She thanks the dozens and dozens of viewers. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And by the way, when she won in 2009 at the Golden Globe, she denounced us. She no way. She wasn't very. She was very unhappy about what our forum posters were saying about her. So she <laughs> used that as comic material to blast us, and it was hilarious. But oh, uh, sure. on that point, that's a perfect example because it yes. never had any eyeballs. Uh, few people watched it, but NBC kept saying, "Okay, well, we can't cancel the show that just won Best Comedy Series." Absolutely. They gave it another year, and it won three times for comedy series, and of course, tons of other Emmys. I have gone back to check at least what public news sources exist that record how much money that series has made in syndication subsequent to its original broadcast. And it has brought in more than $1 billion worldwide. And it never would have happened without the Emmys. Oh, wow. Right. So interesting. And I I think of that with the Tonys, too, in particular, like a a Tony winning show is what allows a Broadway show to continue. And I think that's true for the Oscars, too. Right. Like, of course, Moonlight's Best Picture win made that gave that movie a lot more eyeballs, especially because it won in such a spectacular fashion. So, I mean, this is so big picture. But is that what what would you say is the core function of an award show? Like or what are the core functions? Because there are there are multiple I'm just thinking about this in terms of, um, you know, this is a very strange year and we just had these virtual Emmys that were delivered with people in hazmat suits. So, like, what is it about an award show that we that we still value or that we still need? Do you know what I mean? I think history needs it. I think these award shows serve Mm -hmm. 
primarily as a filter to the future to say, what of all that old programming should I care about? And you see things mm-hmm. like All in the Family winning, I think, what, four times for comedy series. And you say, well, I got to watch that. And yeah. uh, we lose the enthusiasm and excitement around shows over the years. And we forget and people die and new generations are born. Um, but now Moonlight will be still seen years later. Mm-hmm. Sony Pictures Classics actually gave me their number on what it means. And it is fascinating. 40% of the revenue of that, not, we're not talking big Sony animation and all those films. We're talking about the little right. classic movies. The 40% of their revenue every year comes from their backlist. So they're always spending enormous sums to win Oscars because mm-hmm. suddenly now it's going to therefore matter and people will continue to watch it in the future. And that strategy mm-hmm. uh, de- uh, determines a lot of what they green light and partner with up front. So I think it matters that way wow. too. Yeah. Another thing I was just thinking about, because it's not just the big awards, the year, one of my first years here, uh, WGN was trying to get into the you know original programming game, and they had Manhattan, um, I believe it was Manhattan, um, yep. won, it was at the Creative Arts, and Marcus and I were backstage, and we were in the press room, and it won, I think, main title design, it's WGN's only award that year, maybe their only award so far still. And the, I saw the publicists jumping up and down and cheering. So on the commercial, not commercial break, but on the next moment, I said, why are you so excited about main title design? She said, <laughs> "Yes, we're an Emmy winning show now, and that can go on the yeah. DVD boxes around the world. Emmy winner. Interesting. Doesn't matter what category, they can call themselves an Emmy winner. Absolutely. Okay. From a purely like marketing, the ecosystem of Hollywood perspective, award shows are crucial, especially for the smaller stuff. Yes, uh, especially Very for the cool. smaller stuff. And unfortunately, under this new system we have now, those are the ones being punished and overlooked. And that must saying. not right. be tolerated. But think about um, Disney Plus just launched last November. Hmm. They So they've only been alive for, what, 10 months. Um they cleaned up with Mandalorian at the Creative Arts and got a drama series nomination. Don't tell me they aren't excited over at Disney Plus. Apple Apple TV Plus got its you know also launched last November. Gets its first yeah. ever Emmy win with um, Billy Crudup, and also had some major nominations with Jennifer and Steve and Mark Duplass and uh, and other categories too. So. Don't tell me they aren't excited to 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 land these nominations and the one win off of, you know, one less than one year's worth of effort. Right. Same goes for um, even uh, Quibi, which, again, it's sort of like the idea of the main title design. And Emmy is an Emmy. And even if you're winning in the short form categories, they got 10 nominations in short form categories. That's that means that as far as the the prestige factor of Quibi goes, that success you know their, their their goal was met they're now on the map in that way i never forget beyond money and beyond uh, the acclaim and the fact that mm-hmm. these people get to have an award on their shelves and all that kind of stuff one of the biggest reasons why netflix buys or works or develops so many shows and and or any of these but i'm just talking about netflix because they really were the first of the, the streamers to to work on original programming and actually go after emmys is to lure in other creative, top creative people 
because those right. people go, not only does Netflix promote their product to the public, but they've got my back on awards and all kinds of other yeah. stuff. And that's, they want, they want when they have a meeting with a really top creative person, they want that person to feel very comfortable coming to that company. Yeah. That's such a great point. There's, there's a creative incentive too. There's like a creative force that benefits from awards. Yeah. And think about the networks that aren't doing well right now. Don't you think they're having a hard time even getting meetings with certain types of people? Right. And that does also speak to what we've sort of the, this consolidation of, of course, you've got HBO and Warner, Disney and Fox, like we are looking at um, fewer, bigger entertainment outlets than this variety of smaller guys duking it out. And that just looks to be the trend going forward. It does to such a degree that uh, rarely do we see the broadcast channels even nominated in the top Emmy categories anymore. Yeah. And that I this is another thing. I love Sterling K. Brown so much that bit where he presented best drama and it was a, you know, a jokey written bit that he pretended to believe that This Is Us had won. And he said something about network TV, like he mentioned, oh, network TV. I don't, I don't think he said hang in there, but there was almost like my takeaway from that bit was like network TV, hang in there. And it was almost a little depressing to see that. I don't know what you guys thought of that moment. I know. It was heartbreaking, actually. <laughs> Their numbers go down every year when it comes to Emmys, and I don't know what they can do about it because they're right. they're not at some level attracting, you know, a Scorsese, a David Fincher, uh, 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 some of the people that they used to attract. Back in the day when they were winning so many Emmys, they were, well, they were the only ones allowed to compete at the Emmys, but they were getting, you know, your Stephen Bochco types, your David E. Kelly's, your Aaron Sorkin's. If Aaron Sorkin had a new show idea, do you think he'd go to a broadcast network right at this moment? No. Not just Emmys, but but, uh, I think it's the language, subject matter, no commercial Mm. breaks. Uh, that that's the stumbling blocks that the broadcast networks have. Not of their fault. It's just no. the creative people that don't want to deal with those kinds of things aren't really going to them right now. So they're not getting right. they're 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 basically putting on reality shows and procedurals which aren't going to get Emmy nominations. Yeah, and it just makes me think like that that's a trend over the last what five or six years. I'm so curious to see five or six years from now, it could be this industry could be topsy-turvy again. You know, it, it really, we are changing at an alarming rate here in terms of what is consumed and how. And it may all actually converge very soon too, if you think about it, uh, where there would be no need for separate Emmys and Oscars because they're already uh, competing uh, many, many contenders compete at both, you know, like especially in those documentary yes. categories, for example. they I think that The Cave just won, didn't it? I think at the Emmys and, and it was an Oscar nominee, et cetera. And this is, um, I think it's a fascinating little warning bell that it's all going to converge yes. someday and there will be no distinction at all between uh, all this media. That's right. And, and when I said that about broadcast, what they have done if, if you look at the bigger picture, is all four of them, NBC just launched Peacock. So that's where they're going to lure in the creative yeah. talent, where they can stream it. They don't have to worry about the content and they don't have commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox and Disney, I mean, Fox and ABC both have Disney Plus and Hulu. Mm-hmm. And CBS has CBS mm-hmm. All Access, which will now become, I believe, Paramount 
uh, streaming channel, over, uh, they're renaming it over the next few months. So they all have ways that they're going to do this where they'll put their their more quality Emmy type content on the streamers right. and continue to do reality and, and procedurals on the traditional mm-hmm. broadcast. And daytime. Right. And yeah. daytime. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, I do think it's super fascinating and, um, and sometimes worrying, you know, it's, it's, there's two sides of that coin. Gosh, this, these are exactly Chris, Tom, these are exactly the insights that I was so hoping from, from you both on this podcast. <laughs> so thank you so much. This is really lovely. Um, can I just finish off by asking you both, like, did you have a favorite moment from the telecast? Is that something we want to talk about? Hmm. Chris, you first. I think my favorite presenter, and this goes back for me 40 yeah. years, was David Letterman. The fact that Jimmy Kimmel was able to get him to do it, he doesn't hardly do anything, <laughs> and that he True. did it on a, he was the only one that wasn't just, you know, chained down to a, a studio or, I was sitting at home. He did a real actual comedy and it was funny. Um, yeah. And he's presenting the variety talk category, which he dominated for years and years. So all of that together, I just found that really thrilling to see. And he was one of the few great one. legendary type people that was on the show. Sure. My favorite yeah. would, would, would definitely be Zendaya, Zendaya. Am I pronouncing her name correctly? When she won, I that was Zendaya, such a magic yeah. moment. Zendaya, thank you. It's such a magic moment. Yeah. And it was just thrilling to see her excitement and the whole thing. Her head, her head just exploded. And we it was impossible not to be <laughs> thrilled for her. She just beat Jennifer Aniston yeah. and Laura Linney. And she took down these giants and Insane. set a new record as but being the youngest winner in that category ever. And that's a moment that yep. you cherish when you see these shows. And and from a winner standpoint, I know we're wrapping up. Catherine and Eugene have been on TV with, since SCTV uh, in 1980, yes. or maybe even before that with Canadian television. I love it when Legends. a veteran, I, I know they both had won writing Emmys, but those were four, almost 40 years ago, and they'd never won an acting Emmy, yeah. either one of them. And I love it when a veteran wins for the first time. That's just one of my most, whether it's Oscars or Emmys or any of the award shows. Uh, that's so thrilling to me. And they were so appreciative. And Dan sitting back behind them, <laughs> who's grown up with both of them, uh, well, obviously his father, but also, you know, knowing Catherine his whole life, he was practically crying back there, knowing yeah. that this was a first for them and that he helped to get them, you know, those awards. Yeah. Yeah, I think Dan Levy's facial expressions might have been my favorite part of this era. Those deserved it, Amy, themselves, his facial <laughs> yeah. expressions. <laughs> he wins four. The amount of times that they can cut to him for his reaction to a win was so many. It was it was really thrilling. It was hilarious. And yeah, I have to kind of uh, eat shit a little bit. Um, if my sister is listening, my sister insisted Zendaya would get nominated. I said, no way. And she insisted she would win. I said, no way. And here we are. <laughs> Well, we, we we want we now want to hire her at Gold Derby. So exactly, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. Well, gosh, Chris, Tom, thank you guys so much for joining us, and um, we will do this again because we are looking at a very unusual and very long film award season, um, <laughs> <laughs> and there will just be a lot, you know, a lot to update our listeners on. I think a lot of people who are following awards. No matter whether you're following awards as an amateur or as a hardcore expert, this is a very roller. This is a roller coaster of a time. 
So um, it's good to check in with other, other experts on this. So thank you both. Thank you. This was fun. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.